Are you an insider? Subscribe to FC Insiders today to receive full unedited interviews, news, rumors, exclusive content, and more. Join FC Insiders at futurecommerce.fm. Future Commerce is brought to you by Vertex. Vertex is the leader of tax technology solutions and services for corporations worldwide. They're trusted by over half of the Fortune 500. Vertex Cloud meets sales and use tax solutions for businesses of all kinds. Visit them online today at vertexsmb.com. Emarsis is the largest independent marketing platform company in the world. Their software enables truly personalized one-to-one interactions between marketers and customers across all channels. They help you build loyalty and enrich the customer journey while increasing your revenue. Go to emarsis.com slash futurecommerce to request a demo and see for yourself how emarsis can help your company scale marketing decisions. That's emarsis, E-M-A-R-S-Y-S dot com slash futurecommerce. Welcome to Future Commerce, the podcast about cutting edge and next generation commerce. I'm Brian. And I'm Philip. And today we have a very special guest, uh, Ms. Sucharita Kadali, a uh, well-known retail analyst and uh, author of a new book uh, coming out uh, very shortly, Toys R Bust, Reasons One of the Country's Most revealed retailer, Revered Retailers Collapsed, uh, is joining us here today. Welcome, Sucharita. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Oh We're man, I, I'm 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 so excited. I'm tripping over my own words, and uh, we hope you're <laughs> excited too. If you want to lend your voice, uh, go ahead and head on over to futurecommerce.fm and uh, go ahead and hit us up in the discuss comment box below the episode. And you can always subscribe and uh, never miss one beat of what's going on here in retail futurism. Uh, what we like to call our 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 pragmatic retail futurism angle uh, that we have here on futurist uh, futurist radio. What am I talking about? Future commerce. <laughs> Uh, and you can Interest do that. Radio. I like the sound of that. <laughs> I kind of like that too. Uh, I'm coming off vacation, so I'm I'm teeming with ideas. I've got a lot of excitement <laughs> up here. Uh, but we want you to be part of that community that we're building, and you can do that also at futurecommerce.fm by signing up for FC Insiders. All right, um, Sucharita, what have you been up to? You you were on the show. You're part of our alumni. You were on the show a couple uh, about a year and a half ago or so. Year, about a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. What what all has changed for you, and what have you been up to over the last year? Yeah, yeah. So um, a couple of things. My my day job is uh, is that I'm a retail analyst, and I work at Forrester Research, um, covering online retail um, retail technologies and uh, things that are affecting and um, transforming the the retail industry and uh, the the companies that support the retail industry, like like vendors. Um, the uh, more recently, within you know, kind of a uh, I guess a, a side a side project of mine um, is that uh, ever since uh, since Toys R Us um, went out of business, I have been um, just basically taking some of the old notes that that I had had when I had worked there many many years ago and crafted it into. Um, you know, sort of a, a, a little memoir um, that uh, that illustrates, I hope, um, you know, the reasons that the company collapsed. And uh, so that was that's been, you, you know, kind of my more recent um, initiative that I've been on working on. It's amazing, yeah. And uh, and this this new book, Toys R Bust, details your it chronicles your your time there in 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 in, in um, at Toys R Us in great detail. Uh, I, I had the the pleasure of sort of pre-reading it before the release. Uh, I got, I, I'm, of course, I'm getting all of the awesome comments that always get cut out before uh, 
<laughs> before you actually take it to, <laughs> to print. But it was an unbelievable read. Um, very excited that that you know that this is going to be out in the world. I think it will be really helpful helpful for a lot of retailers to help avoid some of the mistakes that Toys R Us made and ultimately led to its demise. Um, you know, I, and I, and I don't want to give away too much, but I think we, you know, I'd love to talk about some of the themes in the book. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, uh, one of the things that was just really interesting in the book is you, you really go into detail about um, when you are in, in their, um, their leadership program, uh, what what it was like to be the assistant assistant manager of a store and um, the the stories of 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 like you know, anecdotes uh, that you've pulled from that experience to to relate back to your points um, and not just from the store but like once you were done with being assistant manager then heading into uh, you know being a buyer assistant buyer and and in like you know continued into the corporate side of things and like how your time in the in, in you know the front end of the store related back to back to that that next step and um so i i mean i i was really intrigued and and enjoyed just the storytelling of this of this saga um uh and and then of course the insights that come out are just classic sucharita <laughs> um I, I I thought that you had some really great points. Uh, one of the things that I thought was a really interesting point um, was the you 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 felt like the people's the people management was really inefficient, and you know, and the hiring process was was just a, a very like sort of old school and didn't really take into account modern retail practices. Um, maybe maybe you could go in a little more detail about what you saw there. Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, and first, thank you for for even reading the book, Brian. That's uh, I very much appreciate it. Um, it I, at great. least one person has read it, so so that, <laughs> that my 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 task is done. Um, so, um, but as far as um, you, you know, there there were a lot of lessons um, for for me from that experience, and one of the the things that I think was fundamentally. Um, an area that challenged Toys R Us in particular and um, challenges much of the retail industry. Um, because the truth is, is that I, th- I don't think that there is a sector of the U.S. economy um, that hires as many people as retail. It is mm-hmm. an incredibly large employer um, of, of the economy. Um, however, one of the, the challenges with um, that volume is that you end up with not always the best quality. And there's a very um, good reason for that. And that is that retailers typically pay at the low end of, of the pay spectrum. Um, I, you know, when I, was, when I was at the store where I, I, I did work at, um, they were paying um, you know, $6.50 an hour for wow. their store associates, um, wow. which was at the time a little bit more than minimum wage in, in New Jersey because the store happened to be in, in Paramus, New Jersey. Um, but it was, it was substantially lower than even other stores down the same road. I rem- I, because I wanted to do a, com- you know, a comparison, I asked the, you know, the barista at Starbucks how much they were getting paid at the same time. They were like, you know, $10 an hour and they get health benefits. Right. Um, so this was this was a company that chose to pay at the low end of the spectrum. And uh, but, you know, it's also a business that was highly seasonal. 
Um, so what would happen is that, you know, during the regular course of the year, you may have, you, you know, chain-wide, I think there were like 60,000 or so full-time associates. And then that would spike up to 120,000, you know, just during the few weeks around Q4 when there was the burst in traffic to the store. So there would be this massive hiring effort to just get as many bodies into the store as possible. And literally that was one of my my mandates is is just go find bodies. You know, we don't we don't care where they come from. Just get the bodies in here because we need to man, um, you know, kind of as many cash registers at all times and just process transactions. And um, you know, and that begat a lot of issues related to shrink and loss prevention and um, and just not even thoroughness in the hiring process. I mean, I recounted one anecdote where I mean we were hiring people. And it would be weeks before they even finished the background checks on individuals. And there would be convicted felons, sex offenders, you know, all kinds of people (laughs) who wouldn't have made it through, you know, kind of a bona fide, higher quality hiring process. And, um, you you know, and it was it was the, you know, kind of the mentality of of the, the organization to just get bodies in the door. Um, and, and literally anybody who would be willing to work for six fifty an hour and, you know, and kind of show up for their shift. I mean, that was, that was the bar. And, um, it's unfortunate because I do believe that, you, you know, kind of in, in cases like this, you sort of get what you pay for. And, um, you, you know, kind of you, you don't always get the most, um, industrious store associates. You may not get the ones who are, um, you know, the most excited about their jobs. I mean, I certainly wouldn't be excited getting, you know, barely above minimum wage. Um, and, you know, in it, it, they're, you know, just these completely different philosophies in, in hiring and retail. You know, on the one extreme, you do have companies like Starbucks or one of the quotes that just really um, just resonated with me was the CEO of the container store, Kip Tendall, who um, is famous for or the the phrase you know um, you can you can pay people twice as much and get three times as much productivity and I truly believe that I think companies like Trader Joe's actually live by that um, but unfortunately a lot of big box merchants a lot of mass merchants don't and it ends up um, getting demonstrated ultimately in in some of the poor quality experiences you often have in in these large mass merchants. Yeah, I hmm. think uh, Trader Joe's is a good example. I, I mean, I, I, I always love the Costco example as well. I think that they have a really great retail culture, um, you know, and and you know they're always, uh, you know, X percent higher on pay than than other retailers are to ensure that they're getting you know the top end of the of the you know of 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 that retail associate level worker. Um, and they, you know, and they have a really great promotion uh, practice as well within the store, and um, allows allows uh, workers to really think, you know, uh, embrace their jobs and you know feel good about the wage that they're learn- earning. And uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I, I I I tend to think that living wage jobs just produce a better in uh, life for us all around in general in in in, in America and. Um, if uh, you know, we focus a little bit less on profit and more on sustainability, we're going to end up with a better overall experience, and people are going to come to our store and buy more stuff. So, um, I, th- I mean, could yeah. could someone make the argument though that uh, 
I, I, I don't ever want to be like, I don't want to be the person to say that, you know, I think it's, it's fair or right to pay, uh, at the very low end of the spectrum. Right. But, but I, I also might understand an argument that would say that there's a certain type of a product. And in this case, maybe a certain type of a toy that doesn't need necessarily, uh, education or skill to sell other than more than just where it's located in the store that most of those products have already sold themselves when people walk in the door and, and people are more inclined to need less education about the product. Um, and so therefore like the demands of the type of, you know, worker, uh, and, and the, and the rigors of the job, you know, fall at the lower end of the spectrum anyway. Uh, what's your, what's your take on that Sutrita? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that a lot of what you just said is the defense for why sure. you do have the lower wage jobs. But here's here's the flip side. Um, there is a lot of intangible work that goes into um, an experience, and it, it you know, and that was another observation is that no matter how much automation, how much AI, how much machine learning we ultimately get in retail, there are certain jobs that you're just going to need humans for. And, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. a little thing. It's things like who's going to bring the shopping carts that are left in the middle of the parking lot back inside. Um, You know, when somebody go decides that they don't want um, zucchini anymore, and they're already at checkout, who's going to put it back on the shelf? Um, those are things that, you know, maybe in 25, 30 years, robots may <laughs> solve, but for now it's people, it's humans. And what the difference between paying somebody, you know, minimum wage versus, you know, 30, 40, maybe even double that is that you get somebody who's a little bit more vested in, um, in hustling, in getting it done faster, more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the difference between somebody throwing the zucchini back on the shelf, you know, or misplacing it with the cucumbers versus somebody who takes the time to put it back and to place it nicely where it belongs. And that's yeah. what I think is the intangible of that, ex, you know, that quote of getting mm. three times as much productivity for, for twice the cost. And, um, and, and I think that, it, you know, a lot of those little parts of the experience are overlooked. Like one of the things that I think is great about Trader Joe's is that they end up cross-training a lot of their sales associates so that they can flex them. Mm. Whereas one of the differences with a Toys R Us or a mass merchant is that when you are hired, you're a cashier or you work in the back or you just work the sales floor and you have one task. And um, if a Mm. cashier doesn't show up that day, um, if you happen to only be one of the back of the store workers, they can't just pull you up to the front of the store. Whereas in at Trader Joe's, they do have a flex model where they are essentially trained to do virtually every task in the store. So if you need somebody to unload a truck and put things on the shelf, because that's the task that's needed that day, um, you have a big bench to tap into to execute that. And hmm. it's shocking to me that more retailers don't employ that type of, of, a, of a method I mean, because it costs more, you know? I mean, it's, it's you know, you've got to pay sure. for health insurance for those people and you've got to, you know, pay a higher wage and you got to spend more time, you know, interviewing them. And, yeah. and that's, that's not something that 
retailers typically do well today. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. I I much prefer that model because the efficiencies you gain, uh, like you said, like even just scheduling, you have, I mean, you can schedule instead of scheduling three people for for you know for checkout, you can you know schedule and, and three people for you know back end and three people for restocking. You can schedule just nine people, and then you know if someone gets sick, you can use anyone from your bench. It's just it's a better way to look at how to to run a store. It's I totally agree with you. Um, and I, I think that the, the, the living wage and paying higher wages is going to make your workers happier. They're going to get to learn more. They're going to have more responsibility. All of the above creates a better experience for your shoppers that, you know, it's, it's better for your shoppers. It's better for your employees and it's, be- and it's more efficient in the end. So it's just mm. a better way to do business. Um, and I think we, I've seen this in other retailers, you know, not just Toys R Us and other businesses in general they don't want to invest in things because they can get cheap labor to take over jobs that could actually be handled by machines or, you know, it just is, you know, that they feel like they don't have to invest in training and things like that, where it's like, Oh yeah, these are, this is saving us money. But in the long run, you know, if you're taking a long-term view of your business, if you're not investing in those, you know, in, in, in your people and in your technology, you're going to end up like toys are us, then you're going to bust. <laughs> so, so one of the Suturita, I thought maybe you could you could expound on sort of the next uh, sort of uh, piece there, which is uh, you know a lot of people have have shifted the blame onto uh, the private equity you know sort of mentality, uh, and 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 really I think what you're generally saying is that it, you know uh, it's it's just not taking ownership, people are trying to find ways to explain away the fact that a lot of the issues were sort of systemic and and cultural and probably, you know, would have happened regardless. Exactly. And that was one of the reasons I even, um, you know, decided to write this is that I wanted to recast the retail narrative. Um, there are really there were a couple of things that um, that that I would argue in the last year have been um, sort of the, the the talk of the retail industry and and one in particular with respect to Toys R Us. There's the private equity piece, as you mentioned, um, this, mm-hmm. this notion that private equity has just basically plundered retailers. Um, and one of the elements that I want to remind everyone is that Toys R Us was in a turnaround um, for years before private equity even decided to, to, to execute the leveraged buyout. Um, it was a company that had already lost its um, position as the top retailer of toys um, to Walmart and Target, you know, several years before. So it was, it was struggling um, for a number of reasons, even before um, the LBO. And I, I, I think that, you know, kind of what was most shocking to me was that it even was able to last for a decade plus after the, right. the private equity buyout. And the second kind of bad guy in the retail equation has been um, internet pure plays, specifically, um, you know, the company in Seattle who, um, <laughs> you know, kind of is, uh, is, is the, is the bad guy. Microsoft, you know, Starbucks? In, no, sorry, in all retail discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I know who would that be? Um, yeah. and, 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 you know, I actually don't talk very much about Amazon at all in this book. And in fact, to the degree that I mention them, 
I actually say it was sort of a blessing to have the Amazon relationship in physical stores because that was the easiest way to look up a SKU number was to go to the Amazon <laughs> website to find it because Toys R Us's own system didn't have an easy way to do a search of the physical product in the store. That's mind blowing. That part, that part I was reading, I was like, oh my gosh, like what? how? So I, I kind of want to unpack that for a second because I, you know, and, and maybe this is deep in the weeds and inside baseball for some, but there's like three people out here who might find this interesting. But I know that you know, a lot of the things that Toys R Us was leveraging, especially in the in its e-commerce play um, early, I want to say 2010, 2011, at least when I first became aware of it was, you know, GSI. And, and I think, you know, sort of the... My understanding of that sort of a mentality around uh, the way that the GSI platform and eventually eBay Enterprise, um, the mentality of sort of outsourcing the entirety of your experience, uh, of your digital commerce experience to another entity, hasn't really worked out for all of the players that decided to go that route in that in that time, in that era. Um, and I, I'm curious to, to know uh, what you think of that being sort of the differentiator of people that decided to invest heavily into owning their own e-commerce experience, you know, now seven, eight years ago, um, versus the people that decided to outsource it and sort of throw everything, including fulfillment to some, some other person because their customers wanted it and they didn't want to invest in it, uh, and make it part of, you know, their actual customer experience. What, what's You're your thoughts You're absolutely there? right. And I, I think that what you ended up with for a company like a GSI Commerce, which is basically the third-party outsourcing platform that um, that would take a percent yeah. of sales and basically run your e-commerce business from end to end, um, the kinds of clients that they had, not, not all of them, but the, the vast majority of them, were companies that just didn't um, feel passionately about a digital commerce presence. They felt like they needed to have one, but they didn't want to invest on their own. And um, that was, I think, one of the, the biggest um, issues that, um, that, uh, that Toys R Us um, faced was that it was a company that didn't really feel that passionately about e-commerce. And, um, you know, a little bit of history, it was, it had its own e-commerce platform very, very early on um, when the internet was supposed to kill all physical stores. And this was like in 98, 99. And um, that ended up being um, something that that they then retrenched on because um, they it, it it didn't it didn't yield great results and it ended up being a huge investment and you know e-commerce was was tiny at that time um, so what they did was that they ran into Amazon's arms and Amazon at the time had an e-commerce platform business that by the way Target Borders um, I think Tower Records was on and Toys R Us. Um, so they, so Amazon basically ran the e-commerce websites for these large retailers back in like the year 2000. And then flash forward a few years, what had happened was that there were some issues where um, Amazon uh, basically claimed that Toys R Us was not giving the appropriate merchandise and was um, stocking out of bestsellers. So, so Amazon basically um, sourced its own product and that violated the terms of the Toys R Us agreement, and there was a lawsuit that ensued, and that was the grounds for severing the relationship between Toys R Us and Amazon. It was a relationship that, by the way, should have lasted like 10 years. And that's another question is, why is anyone signing these like 10 years long contracts with 
with companies that, you know, <laughs> yes. when, the, when the world is changing so quickly. Because um, that's what know, they do. So that's what they do in retail. Oh, my right. gosh. Yeah. <laughs> that's hundred year leases. I mean, 10 years sounds like a bargain. You oh, know? yeah. That's, exactly. Uh... It's totally crazy. <laughs> But, you know, kind of, so then Toys R Us, instead of deciding, oh, we're going to invest in our own business um, after the lawsuit, you know, kind of basically let them out of, of their, their contract, um, they decided to go with GSI, which was basically an alternative to Amazon. And the way that I always described it is like somebody saying that, you know, kind of, I am going on a diet. I am, you know, kind of no more McDonald's for me. Instead, I'm only going to eat a Burger King from now on. <laughs> that's, that's essentially what they did is like, you know, they, they, they made a change and they, they stuck it to Amazon. Yes. But, you know, they didn't really, you know, they didn't really make a change. And, um, you know, it was a change that, that basically said that they don't care about digital and, um, you know, and, and if you don't care about digital, when the world is moving toward digital, you're going to um, lose a percent of the consumers that, that choose to transact in that channel. Future Commerce is brought to you by Vertex. Vertex provides cloud and on-premise solutions that can be tailored to specific industries for every major line of tax, including sales and use, income, value added, and payroll. Vertex Cloud is the SaaS solution that automates sales and use tax, including calculation and returns. With multiple service levels and flexible pricing models, Vertex Cloud meets the sales and use tax needs for businesses of all sizes. From recognizable brands like Honda, Pepsi, Verizon, and small businesses the world over. Find out more today at vertexsmb.com and be sure to mention Future Commerce Podcast to get 15 months for the price of 12. Once again, that's vertexsmb.com. Emarsys is the largest independent marketing platform company in the world. Powered by artificial intelligence, the Emarsys marketing platform enables truly personalized interactions between marketers and customers across all channels, building loyalty, enriching the customer journey, and increasing your revenue. Each day, Emarsys connects more than 2,200 brands with 3.2 billion customers all over the world. Emarsys delivers over 350 million personalized interactions across email, mobile, social, and web. To learn more about how eMarsis can help your company scale marketing decisions and actions, visit eMarsis.com slash futurecommerce and request your demo today. That's eMarsis, E-M-A-R-S-Y-S dot com slash futurecommerce. What would sort of be, you know, if you could paint a picture, which you've painted some amazing word pictures just just in this the short episode so far. I love the zucchini and the cucumber <laughs> pile. <laughs> that was amazing. That's probably the show title right there. Uh, but if you could paint a picture... <laughs> what <Well>, is now? <laughs> uh, of, of what sort of the antithesis of, of Toys R Us would be. Like, what's the, what's the model that would sort of that would negate all of the bad things that Toys R Us did. Like, can you show us what that store would look like? Uh, you know, just give us a picture of that. You know, I, I think that 
some of the newer retailers that are getting a first crack at creating brand new retail experiences. Um, Now, I don't know how profitable they are, so that's my caveat um, to a lot of this. But, you, you know, I like the the retail experiences of, of Bonobos. I like the retail experience of, of a Warby Parker. I think that, you, you know, kind of it's everything from, you know, kind of trying to be a little bit more customer centric. It's trying to look at new ways of um, having inventory. I mean, one of the biggest challenges for any physical goods retailer is um, the amount of inventory that you have to own and the capacity that you have in the physical store um, to have that inventory. And one of the things that Bonobos is known for is that they don't carry all of their inventory. They have basically items that you can try on and you can order um, your items from a central distribution center or elsewhere to get it shipped to you. That's really, really smart. That's a great way to expand what you have in the physical store without being burdened, um, you know, kind of by by this inventory. Um, I think, um, you, you know, there are, are pro- you know, probably in the cosmetic space, um, you know, kind of of an existing merchant, I would say that um, probably Sephora, um, is is a company that is is doing better than most, and they have employed a lot of these elements of experiential design and engaging shoppers yeah. in in a really really fun way, and having a variety of of vendors too. I mean, that was another thing that um, that always baffled me about these big box retailers is that. There is a world of merchandise and vendors that are out there. If you go to the big trade shows that were um, that are most popular in the toy and baby industry, it was JPMA in the baby industry, Toy Fair in the toy industry. There are thousands and thousands of purveyors of really interesting new merchandise. Yet half of the product that Toys R Us purchased would come from twenty vendors. 20 vendors. And it, 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 that never made any sense to me. And um, the more that you can diversify and showcase new vendors and showcase freshness, which is what companies now like Amazon do, um, that is really where I think the the great future of retail is, is in, in discovery. It's no longer, um, you, you know, kind of stack them high, watch them fly and stuff things you know, kind of in the aisles and expect that people are going to buy from you because those are the only choices that they have. You know, retail is no longer like it was in 1982. <laughs> and um, and I think that, right. you know, a lot of the practices that we still see in big box are very much from 1982. Yeah, it's interesting. I think you bring up a good point. I just walked through the mall the other day because I had to. Um, and I peeked into the stores as I walked along. And, uh, you know, a lot of them are still employing practices that I've, you know, I saw in the nineties and, you know, in, in, in the two thousands and it's, some stores are starting to to do some really cool stuff and we're seeing new types of sales happen in, in physical retail now. Like there's a Tesla store in, in the Bellevue mall. Like that was, uh, that was pretty cool, you know, to see a car in a mall. Right. And that's been there for a while. I, I mean, I, I mean, it's been there for probably, I don't know, now like seven years. But, um, it, it, you know, it. I think, you know, a lot, I think to your point, a lot of big box retailers and even smaller retailers are still just employing the exact same model 
that they employed for for years. Like it's the same, it's the same model, it's the same, you know, shopping experience, and that's why a lot of people are not going to those stores in the malls. Um, and I know that malls are, you know, still have a lot of life left in them. And I'm not saying that physical retail is dead by any means, but there, if you stick to old paradigms, you will die. And I think your book really illustrates this. Speak, speaking right. of, of antithesis, uh, I think you, you mentioned Amazon as antithesis. And I, and I do want to kind of talk about Amazon a little bit more here. There's just so much going on. And Prime Day just happened. And I really wanted to take a few minutes to dive into that um, and you know, talk about what, what happened on Prime Day. Uh, you know, Amazon had a big side outage in, a, in our last episode. We sort of had a few quick snide comments about that. But um, you know, what were your what were your thoughts on uh, on on Prime Day this year on Amazon's outage? You know, and they had a huge, huge day, biggest day ever. But it could have been so much bigger. And there were also, you know, lots of merchants who didn't get the you know the the advertisement that they paid for. Or, or paid promotions that you know that they paid for; those were pretty much blocked for that period while they had that outage. Um, so, you know, what did you what did you think of Prime Day this year, and um, and and uh, of especially specifically regarding the this outage? Yeah, I was I was candidly I was shocked. I mean, I'd never seen Amazon um, basically um, you know kind of choke on a day like that. And I, I don't think, in fact, I don't think I'd ever seen an outage on um, on Amazon ever yeah. uh, before that, um, which which was you know most shocking to me. I mean, it seemed like it was out of the playbook of Sears or something. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I, I you know kind of but I knew it, you know I knew that it couldn't be very long lived because you know even. Um, when outages happen at at lesser companies, um, they get it together. Like everybody is, you know, all hands on deck and people are very, very anxious about, you know, kind of, um, you know, losing their jobs and, um, you, you know, kind of the fallout that will happen subsequent to that moment. So there, I, I knew that, you know, they would, it wouldn't be long and it ended up being, I think, an outage of like an hour, a couple of hours. And there were some pages that, you know, kind of experienced some persistent problems. The great irony is that there were certain pages that were absolutely fine. Like right. the echo no wonder the fire tv was the biggest seller on the day (laughs) exactly exactly so it kind of makes you wonder was this a calculated effort (laughs) Um, i but uh you know and the the other piece of the irony from the other side having been on sites that have um worked at companies where the sites have crashed on Black Friday, is that you still see sales coming through. I mean, there is somebody that's able to access product and because things are on sale, you know, so from the back end, you know, kind of sales are still coming in. It is just that it may not be as much as you would like. And um, it is it is strange because, you know, I, I think that this was the first time that they had basically... Um, you know, launched a sale in the middle of an afternoon on a workday when, you know, a lot of their shoppers are at work and have access to to computers and, you know, phones and everyone sort of online at the same time. Um, and, you know, it's sort of what, you know, it's that expression that I, that, that we use like the big unveil. And, you know, we talk about, you know, being very, very cautious about the big unveil that often happens when companies will, um, 
you know, launch a new website or they'll launch a redesign and they're, they're like, ta-da, it's, you know, it's all open and, you know, the site crashes. Um, and, it, you know, kind of this was, maybe this was a little bit of, of that is that they, they just hadn't anticipated everybody coming on all at once. Um, but, you know, I mean, they're, they're the smartest people in the world and I'm sure the mistake will never happen again. And, you know, to their credit, they did fix it within a few hours. The main prime day was on Tuesday anyway. And, um, you know, we knew that it was going to be to a bigger audience with more deals for a longer period of time with, you know, even more prominent brands. So of course, and you have the momentum of the company coming into a year with double digit growth anyway. So, you know, I, I would have been shocked if it was anything but the biggest day of the year for them. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, if it was not the biggest day of the year for them, that would have been a big problem. I think the other part that was just mind blowing to me, it was there were more signups for Prime on that day than any other day in the history of Amazon. Um, and that, you know, I think that just goes to show how like how well they advertised it. They spent a lot of time, you know, advertising on on radio and in, you know, TV and and through ads on the internet and like they really promoted this and and then made made it really clear that, you know if you wanted access to these deals you had to sign up for Prime and you know I I think I think that that is almost more of a success story than any story than anything else that's that that happened that day like uh, Prime signups are are Amazon's real uh, you know uh, uh, silver bullet and so if you know, if, if, if anything, if prime day is just about getting prime signups, like that's a win for Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. right. Yeah, absolutely. My, my, my concern here is, is at what point, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm probably the wrong person. I, I, I always hesitate to put myself as like the persona of the person who shop. I shop on Amazon for everything, <laughs> like everything. I, in fact, I, I was giving a a talk a couple years ago about uh, this brand new device called, you know, Alexa that you know uh, uh, people probably will never use, uh, but how it's this really cool device that I, you know, is demand, you know, demand commerce, on demand commerce, where I, you know, I basically order all of my toilet paper even from from with my voice. It's amazing, and <laughs> so I'm that guy, and I didn't shop on Prime Day, and I was really put off by. Uh, by you know the flubs on day one. Now, do I have I shopped on on every other day of the year, but Prime Day? Yes. Uh, so I'm probably not the target, you know. But I I think you make a really astute point there, Brian. In that, yeah, if it's about winning net new customers to Prime or bringing people back to Prime who have lapsed off at some point, uh, then then that is a I mean that's a fantastic goal. But doesn't does it not put off a potential consumer who's not a member of Prime to say, how stable is this service when I want to put all of my dependence on it in, in other fashions? I'm supposed to use it for entertainment. I'm supposed to use it to watch TV yeah. now and listen to music uh, and look up recipes in my kitchen. And 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 to have one the first experience be the best. Well, okay, maybe... So then the rules... <laughs> the point... I'm getting to a point. The point is that the rules then that we spew for every yes. other retailer don't apply to Amazon, period. Full stop. Because we would tell anyone else in the world that uh, you're the first experience is an important one, and you don't want to fall flat on your face on the on this experience that's supposed to, you know, get the foot in the door for you know the high CLTV that you're trying to get for that customer for the rest of their lives. 
Um, I well, don't know. That's no, no. I think I, that it's not your a well formed thought. That's I think your thought. point is that Amazon has a certain amount of like uh, one trust in in consumers' minds that is so high that even something as bad as their site going down on their biggest day. I mean, it it it, it, feel, it felt like a rookie mistake, like someone who didn't prepare for Shark Tank, you know, like um, a retailer that didn't prepare to have uh, their their site flooded on Shark Tank uh, when their when their episode aired. Um, right. You know, it. I, I I think what you're getting at is there's too much there's too much brand equity and trust that's already built up. So. Um, I mean, that kind of leads me to another question that I have for you, um, Sutrita. This, you know, Amazon's continuing to raise the price of Prime. They're continuing to to innovate. Uh, and like one thing that I saw that they're doing recently that I just had to bring up was this new Part Finder image uh, image based search for for parts, and you can find like really random, like oddly shaped. Uh, parts, nuts and bolts, and and washers mm-hmm. and screws and such, and I'm just blown away by their continued innovation. Um, but with you know, sort of the political climate being what it is, and uh, you know, and and being the size that they are, you know, what do you think about? I mean, I think it's been on a lot of people's minds and in a lot of different media, and you know, and 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 people that are in 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 the industry uh, is antitrust coming for Amazon? Is there going to be some sort of a a suit at some point. Where do you, where, what's your take on this? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that it's, this is a question not just for Amazon. I mean, this is the big question about everybody from Google to, to Facebook as well is, um, you, you know, kind of when these companies get so big and so much of our, our lives and our data is intertwined with them, um, you know, who owns that data and, um, you know, kind of Amazon's now making a lot of money on advertising in addition to Google and Facebook based on the data that they have about us. And, um, you know, and they're doing it in a personalized way, which is very different than the way that media companies have made money before. Um, so the, the, it does beg a lot of big questions. And I can't see us moving forward without more regulation around this. And because these are global companies, it's already happening in Europe. And um, we're certainly seeing pieces of it um, coming to the United States as well. I don't know if you guys followed that in California, essentially, they basically put in their version of, uh, of GDPR in place. And um, what that means is that, you know, companies are going to be much, they are going to be mandated to be much more careful, at least with Californians, on how they collect information and how they use it. Now, what happens specifically from a regulation standpoint, I think remains to to be seen. I don't know that Donald Trump is going to be able to do much with the postal service. Um, maybe he will, but I mean, the problem is, is that he's going to shoot the entire industry in the foot if he raises prices on Amazon because everybody is dependent on the postal service. But what I do think um, is a place where I'm waiting to see if somebody actually takes up this cause is um, regulation around marketplaces. And right now, marketplaces are the source of the Wild West of the internet. There is no restriction on who's a marketplace seller. Marketplace sellers can state all sorts of claims without any type of enforcement or, um, you know, kind of truth in advertising, um, you know, kind of accountability that they're they're held to. And, um, you know, I always use the example of it is harder for me to have a garage sale at my home than it is for me to sell on Amazon or another marketplace. And that begs the question of, should it be that easy to sell (laughs) 
on Amazon or some other marketplace. Maybe we need to have you know slightly higher standards and put these sellers through um, a few hoops so that there is um, a little bit more quality control as to what's there and shoppers have have a recourse if you know if something goes awry or if a product is counterfeit or it doesn't um, you know kind of meet the expectations of of what it promised. Um, so I think that that could be a huge um, you, you know, kind of uh, wet blanket on on any marketplace if if something like that were to happen, because so much of the growth of e-commerce is now dependent on marketplaces. Um, so you, you know, and I think that there's there's a case to be made. I haven't heard anyone deciding to take that up, but but it sounds to me like it's. I mean, and certainly from my own personal experience, where I've I've had some not great experiences with third party sellers. That you, you know, kind of that's that's in order. Mm. Um, just uh, one other comment I just have to make re- regarding, you, you know, kind of earlier, Phil, your comment about sales. And, you know, what I what I do want to say is that we can never underestimate the American consumer's love for a sale, um, as as evidenced by the Build-A-Bear saga, too, which we didn't talk about. But, um, but I think that it just goes right. to show that, yeah. you know, kind of no matter how badly you may mess up on a sale day, you know, people are still going to show up because their love for a sale, you know, can trump their, um, you, you know, their, uh, their, their, their willingness to, or, or exactly. <laughs> All other <laughs> rational thought. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, we're at the end of our time and I, I, there's so many other things that I want to talk to you about. I wish we could keep going. I, I think uh, we're going to have to have you back on the show again soon. Um, one, one last question before we go. And I, uh, I, I know you, you keynoted at Imagine along with Philip, um, the Magento Imagine conference. Um, and then shortly thereafter, Magento was purchased by Adobe. And I really wanted to hear you weigh in on this. I, uh, I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on on that purchase and and uh, you know kind of what you saw at Imagine and where you see Magento headed. Yeah, Adobe. everybody there had such poker faces. Like I didn't see it coming at all. Um, but but I, I think that it <laughs> it makes it makes a ton of sense. I mean, Adobe is a player um, that is so strong in the retail ecosystem. That is so strong in the marketing ecosystem. And the one piece of um, of the you know of that ecosystem that they didn't have was commerce and Magento is one of the few um, big players that could tuck into Adobe um, appropriately. Um, there there probably a you, you know like a maybe a Shopify potentially, um, but but you know it was really. Magento or, you know, they're, they're really, it would have been a company that would have been much, much smaller without, um, the client base that, that Magento has. Um, so, and all of the other, um, you know, potential acquisitions have, have been acquired. Um, you know, they've been acquired by SAP and, and Oracle and others. So, um, it, it makes complete sense. I think it was something that, um, that, that, that people who follow the e-commerce ecosystem had been anticipating. Um, it, you know, I certainly didn't expect the timing of it to, to be what it was, but, um, but I think it's, it's a, it's a good fit for both companies. Great. Well, appreciate your time again today, uh, Sutrina. Yeah. And this, this has been a phenomenal article. I encourage everyone to go read 
your book when it comes out, Toys Are Bust. Uh, you're going to be releasing that through Amazon. Uh, where where can people? You know, I think we we mentioned this on the last time we we had you on the show. But where can people find you? What you know? What's uh, where you know? Forrester, Twitter, all of the above. All of the above. And uh, I actually, my Twitter handle is still my maiden name, um, which is Mul Peru. Um, but, uh, but, but I am accessible LinkedIn, Twitter, um, now this Amazon ebook. So thank you so much for having me. It was so fun. Thanks Thank for listening you. to Future Commerce. Uh, we always would love to have your feedback about today's show. So please leave us some feedback in the Discuss comment box on our site or on LinkedIn or Twitter or wherever you can find us. Um, and if you're subscribed to us, uh, we always love to, to get reviews from you. So hop on, give us a five star. Um, you, can, you can find us pretty much everywhere. Uh, and so don't, don't forget, if, you, if you're in your house and you're like, I want some future commerce, you could always just say to your smart speaker, uh, Alexa or, or Hey Google or Hey Siri, play Future Commerce Podcast. Uh, with that, Philip, you want to take us home? Yeah. Uh, retail tech is moving fast. The future commerce is moving faster. Thanks again, Sushrita. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.